Hi, my name is Jill. The Old Testament reading is found in Ezekiel 34, 11, 12, and 16. The Lord God proclaims, I myself will search out for my flock and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out the flock when some in the flock have been scattered, so will I seek out my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered during the time of clouds and thick darkness. I will seek, the, seek out the lost, bring back the strays, bind up the wounded, and strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy, because I will tend my sheep with justice. The word of the Lord. Morning, my name's Casey. The New Testament reading is found in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions, but they held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in the care and under the authority of this, the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Evan. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Luke 19, 5 through 10. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray. Gracious Father, thank you for gathering us together as your people. Uh, to be in your presence, to hear from your word, to allow your spirit to speak to us. And we pray that that's what would happen today. That as we take a look at your scriptures, that your spirit would be at work speaking to us, your sons and daughters, and doing in our hearts what only you can do, igniting us with holy love for you, for one another, and for those in the world around us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you this morning. My name is Jason Jackson, one of the pastors here at New Life Downtown. My wife Sarah and I have three kids. Uh, Cora is our oldest. She's nine, waving right here in the front. And Avi is our six-year-old. And then our youngest, Lila, is four. About five years ago, and we had just two of the kids, Cora was four and Avi, our middle daughter, was one, I got invited to go and speak in Florida at a summer camp for uh, some high school students who were going to be there 
So we decided to make a road trip out of it and say, all right, let's pack the kids up and we'll go early. We'll have kind of a day on the front end, maybe a day or two in the back end and get some beach time in. And so we got down there a little bit early and we ran to Publix to get some subs. Those of you who have been to Florida will know those are the best sandwiches in the whole state. And we went to the beach uh, and we sat there and we ate our picnic. And then I grabbed uh, Cora, my four-year-old at the time, and decided, hey, let's go into the ocean. So we go into the ocean over there and we're holding her and we're just doing that thing, you know, just kind of like bouncing up over the waves as they're uh, coming in and have a great time. And then I decide, hey, you know what we should do? We should turn around and say hi to mom and uh, sister on the beach. And so all the waves were, you know, sort of like kind of easy waves. I was like, this is not going to be a problem. Well, as soon as I turned around, uh, the biggest swell that had come in for the entire day probably came in right behind us. So I turned around and as soon as I turned and began to wave, I just got blindsided and hit by this massive wave. And as soon as I got hit, Cora went out of my hands. And it was one of those moments, you have those moments in life where you know it was really brief, but your memory is really long. Like all these emotions kind of flood into your head and all of your senses are heightened. You're taking everything in. And I remember that moment being under the water, just thinking, where is she? How do I find her? I need to get to her. And before I'm even up and out of the water, like already beginning to look to try to find her. And it's just a, a brief moment and find her and grab her and hold her. And that joy of, and relief of saying, okay, she's mine and I have her. That moment is one of those vivid moments kind of seared into my brain. Well, this is the third week in a sermon series that we're doing called Encounters with Jesus. We're taking a look at stories in the Gospels where people had personal encounters with Jesus that transformed their lives. The reason that we're looking at these stories is not because we're going like, oh, isn't that great what Jesus did back then? Like, isn't that really cool? But we're, doing, we're looking at these stories because we fervently believe that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is still interested in encountering people. That Jesus, through this, the Holy Spirit, is still revealing himself to people like you and me. He's still meeting us in deeply personal and transformative ways. So as we're looking at these stories, we're looking at them in a prayerful way of saying, Jesus, would you do it again? Would you show up in the same way? Would you meet us? Can we encounter you in the same way that that person encountered you then? And today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, looking at the story of Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up in church, that kids' ministry classic tune is already playing in your head. And so, in order to move on, we've got to get it out. So... I am tone deaf, and rather than inflicting my voice on all of you, I've invited Pastor Brian Bettis, our worship leader, to come and lead us in a singing of Zacchaeus, a wee little man. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, the words will be on the screen, and you can feel free to laugh at everybody else around you. Uh, if you did grow up and you're like, I cannot sing this song without the motions, feel free to stand uh, and sing along. Martha's going to help with the motions because Martha has them like memorized. So if you need to stand, stand, but here we go. Zacchaeus. All right, everybody ready? Here we go. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. The wee little man was he. 
He climbed up in the sycamore tree, the Lord he wanted to see. And as he Savior passed that way, looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Because I'm going to your house today. Yes, I'm going to your house today. Well done. I think some of you sang that song really differently now than when you did when you were children. Like the voice of like, you come down, sounded very parental. <laughs> you come down. Uh, if it, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. If you want to follow along, you can turn there in your Bibles or you can follow along in the screens. This is how Zacchaeus' story starts. It says this, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. Luke tells us several really critical things about who Zacchaeus is that go well beyond his vertical challenges. The first thing that he tells us is that Zacchaeus is a ruler among tax collectors. Now, tax collectors in the first century, local tax collectors who were Jewish, were seen by other Jews basically as traitors. As those who agreed to cooperate with the pagan Roman Empire in collecting taxes from them. And the way that they would do this is they get in a bidding war with Rome to say, hey, I can collect this much tax. This other person says I can collect this much. Whoever had the highest bid would get the job. But then they would need to make sure they recuperated all those expenses as well as made extra money. And so what would happen is that the tax collectors at key sort of intersections and at city gates would evaluate the worth of property or the worth of goods that was being brought in to sold or taken out to be sold. They would estimate the value and then they would tax a certain percentage. And of course, the easiest way to make up your losses was to estimate the value at significantly higher than it was and to tax the highest rate. So the tax collectors were seen as those who were traitors and as thieves, those who were taking extra money to line their own pockets. To bring this close to home, imagine a fifth generation person from Colorado deciding to become a Patriots fan. That kind of, or maybe you grew up in a blue home or a red home, and then there was a third or fourth generation person that decided to enter politics for the other party, and then they won. Imagine that. Or for those of you who are Parks and Rec fans, this would be like somebody from Pawnee moving to Eagleton and, you know, running for office there. I mean, there's just this tension that comes. So the tax collectors were really reviled throughout this time. But interestingly, in the Gospels, what we find is Jesus continually eating and drinking with tax collectors. 
Jesus spends so much time with them that he's called a friend of tax collectors. Jesus goes to a tax collector named Levi and calls him to be one of his disciples. Jesus in Luke chapter 18, just the previous chapter, tells a story about a Pharisee, a religious leader, someone highly respected in his day, and a tax collector, someone who's reviled, tells a story about them going to the temple to pray and the Pharisee praying with all sorts of pride and the tax collector humbling themselves and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, it's the tax collector who goes away justified, made right in God's eyes. Throughout the gospels, we find that tax collectors are treated fairly, favorably even by Jesus. But interestingly, He's not just a tax collector. He's the ruler among them. He is Bill Belichick. Like he is the chief of all the tax collectors. And the tension is, what's going on with this guy? But not only is he a tax collector, we're also told that he's rich. Unlike tax collectors, the rich in the Gospels, particularly in Luke, Jesus treats less friendly. That Jesus comes on the scene pronouncing blessing to the poor. And he says, woe to those who are rich. Several times in Jesus' ministry, he tells very critical parables about those who who gain significant material goods and hoard them and keep them for themselves. At one point, Jesus even says, you cannot serve both God and money. In the previous chapter, Luke 18, that same chapter, there is a ruler who's rich, a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, have you kept the commandments? He says, I've kept all of them since I was young. So Jesus looks at him and says, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. And the ruler walks away sad because he's so wealthy. Jesus says it's difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And so Luke, this master storyteller, brings us into this story by saying, okay, he's a tax collector. Oh, this is good. Oh, but he's also rich. Oh no, what's going to happen? There's a tension that gets created here, wondering how is Jesus going to respond to this man named Zacchaeus? And how is Zacchaeus going to respond to this man, Jesus? As it goes on, we find, though, that Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus. He wants to know who Jesus was. There's something compelling, something intriguing, something about the person of Jesus that says, I need to see this guy for myself. And for a lot of us, we can relate to that feeling, right? There's something about Jesus that's compelling, that's intriguing, that captures our attention. More books have been written about him than any other figure in history. What do we do with this particular man? We want to know who he is. Maybe that's even why you showed up here today. That you find yourself in a place of going, I'm not sure about church, I'm not sure about Christianity, but I'm curious about this Jesus person. And from what I've heard, I think I want to meet him, or I want to know more about him. Or maybe you've been in church your whole life, and you're still thinking, I'm not sure what to do with this guy yet, and I want to know more about him, I need to encounter him. Or maybe you feel like it's been a long time since you've encountered him in a deeply personal and transformative way, and you're going, I'm just seeking. Jesus right now. I want to. I need to see him. This is the place that Zacchaeus is in. And not only do we find that Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus, we find out pretty 
early on that his view was obstructed. And his view was obstructed by two things, his height and the crowd. See, there was a part of the view being obstructed that was deeply personal, and there's another part of it that was social. See, for some of us, we're saying, I'm trying to see Jesus, but we feel that maybe in some way we can't see Jesus because of something in our own lives. We feel maybe in some way we don't measure up. There's something that needs to be fixed or put right or done differently or said differently or changed or if I could, if I only, if I did this or if I did this, if I did this, if I did this differently, then maybe, maybe, maybe I could see Jesus. So we find ourselves kind of in this place of trying to figure out what to do with the things that prevent us personally from seeing him in our perspective, and we're wrestling with those things. But for others of us, the reason that we can't see Jesus is because of other people. There's been something that's happened in our relationships with others that's caused us to be able to say, like, I don't know what to do with this person. I can't see him. And oftentimes that's when something happens in our relationships, particularly with those who claim the name of Jesus. And we find ourselves experiencing a deep hurt, a deep pain, that there's something about our interactions with those who claim to be Christians that have left us wanting and hurting and broken and upset. It was parents who claimed to be Christians and yet treated us with, in abusive ways or manners. Maybe it was other, a church that you've been a part of in the past and something that happened there deeply, deeply, deeply hurts you. Maybe it was another pastor, somebody who's a religious leader, a mentor, a youth pastor, somebody in your life who broke trust. And as a result of that, it feels like the whole picture of Jesus has been obscured because of what's happened. Can relate to Zacchaeus in these ways. That his view is obstructed, but the remarkable thing about Zacchaeus is this, is that he didn't walk away. Right. He had every reason to walk away, to just be like, I, you know, there's a crowd, I'm short, I can't see over them, forget it. I'm just going back to my tax booth. Or I'm going to go check on my, the other people I'm overseeing and make sure everything's okay. It's easy to walk away, right? right. It's hard to continue to show up. And what Zacchaeus did is that he actually went to the place where he knew Jesus was going to be. He ran ahead and he climbed up in this sycamore tree. He knew where Jesus was going to be and he made every effort to kind of go there. Rather than walking away, he continued to kind of take that effort. And see, for a lot of us, we end up in whatever situations, either because of our own personal stuff or because of things that relationally have happened in our lives, we want to walk away. It's easy at times to do that. And it's particularly easy to walk away from the places where Jesus promised to be, right? To walk away from things like the church, where Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. And we wonder where Jesus is, and yet we've walked away from the places he promised to be. Or maybe it's the scriptures, like, I'm not sure what to do with this. Jesus says the whole of scripture testify about who he is, reveals something about him into our lives, and yet we're like, ah, I don't know what to do with that. Or maybe it's prayer. It's been a long time since we've stopped and talked and prayed to Jesus and said, ah, I just, I don't know what to do about that. The amazing thing is if you're here or if you're watching online, you haven't walked away. 
you're here because you're still saying, okay, as obstructed as my view might be, I still want to see Jesus. That's what I want. I want to see Jesus. And that's what brings us all here today. As we go forward with the story, something absolutely beautiful and remarkable happens. We get to Luke 19, verse 5, and it says this. It says, when Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. So we go on to verse 9. It says this, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham, the human one, or your translation may say the son of man, came to seek and to save the lost. So there's a way of reading the story of Zacchaeus that emphasizes Zacchaeus's efforts. It sees the entire story, this entire progression, as a result of Zacchaeus' seeking. That Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus. That Zacchaeus runs ahead. That Zacchaeus climbs a tree. That Zacchaeus sees Jesus, and that changes everything. But that's not the way that Luke tells the story. That's not the way that this story goes. See, it's actually in this story, it's Jesus who seeks, Jesus who sees, and Jesus who ultimately saves Zacchaeus. And this isn't a story about Zacchaeus, it's a story about Jesus. That Jesus is the one who seeks and sees and ultimately saves. The whole story ends with Jesus saying that the Son of Man, the human one, came to seek and save the lost. It begins with Zacchaeus seeking, same word in the original language, but ends with Zacchaeus may have been seeking, but there was someone who was seeking more. There was someone who was seeking first. There was someone else's seeking that actually mattered more in this story. The Zacchaeus wasn't the only one seeking, that actually Jesus came looking and seeking, coming after him. He quotes that Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 34, God himself coming to seek his flock, to seek his people. He says, I must go to your house today. I've been looking for you. And it's actually in this story, it's Jesus who sees Zacchaeus. Not Zacchaeus who's told that sees Jesus, but Jesus looks up and he sees Zacchaeus there in the tree. And then he turns to him, he stops, he looks up and he calls Zacchaeus by name. We don't know of any story that they've met before. But here in this remarkable moment, Jesus passing through stops, looks up, and calls Zacchaeus by name. And then it's Jesus who invites himself in. You ever had that awkward moment, like you're hanging out with people and somebody invites themselves over to your house? <laughs> like, hey, how about I come over for your house for dinner after this? I'll be there around six o'clock. I prefer these kind of food. Some deep dish pizza might be nice. I, you know, I'll be there. Uh, that's okay, right? This is what Jesus does. He just invites himself in. But it's Jesus who does the initial inviting. It's Jesus who seeks, sees, and ultimately saves Zacchaeus. And this isn't just a story about Zacchaeus. It's a story about us. That it's Jesus who seeks, sees, and ultimately saves each and every one of us. And it's Jesus who does that. We talked about this earlier in the service as Glenn was reflecting on Eugene Peterson's life in this message. That God in Jesus through the Holy Spirit is seeking you. Yes. That he is seeking you. 
in the midst of everything that's going on in your life, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to seek and to save you. That Jesus is actually seeking. And not only that, but Jesus sees you. There's so many times in our lives where we feel invisible. We feel overlooked. That the circumstances or the pains or the relationships in our life have us in the sense like, does anybody even know I'm here? Would anybody know if I were not here? And the Zacchaeus story says, Jesus sees you. And not only does Jesus see you, but this story reminds us that Jesus knows your name. We all know that sort of moment of when you meet somebody for the first time and you know them, but you don't know if they know you, but then they say your name. And that like warm wash that comes over, it's like, oh, they know me. You're like, how do you know my name? (laughs) I get socially awkward in those moments. I don't know if anybody else does. Like, how do you know my name? Like, I know you. But there's that, that sense of saying, okay, somebody knows me. Somebody knows my name. And the scriptures want us to know that that's Jesus. Jesus knows your name. He's seeking you. He sees you. He knows your name. And he's inviting himself in. They oftentimes wonder in life, like, where do we fit? Where do we, where do we belong? We can feel so unwelcome, so rejected, so unaccepted in all sorts of various places in life and constantly going like, where, where do I fit? And Jesus is saying, you want to know where? With me and I'm coming over. <laughs> I want to invite myself into your life. When I got hit with that wave and lost Cora and she's there in the water, I can only imagine what it was like for a four-year-old. She can't swim. She can't touch the bottom. She has no clue where I am. And I can imagine her coming up out of the water and all she's doing is like, where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? And she's seeking me. She's wondering, where did dad go? Where is dad at? But the truth is she needed me to find her. That she could not get to the shore herself. She could not get up from out of the water herself. She didn't know how to swim. She couldn't touch the bottom. Yes, she was seeking me, but what she really needed was for me to seek and find her. That's what she needed. And that's what we all need. Right? We might be saying, I'm looking for you, Jesus. God, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. But at the end of the day, it's not our seeking that matters. What we need to know is that God, our Father, our good, good Father, is seeking us. That he came to seek and to find, to save us. That he's the one who is seeking us, who sees us, who knows us, and wants to be a part of our life. Because otherwise, we're just drowning in the water until Jesus comes and encounters us. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is the one who is relentlessly pursuing each and every one of us. And for you today, that may be the first time that you've ever thought about that. And Jesus is saying, I'm looking for you. I'm coming for you. I see you. I know you. I love you. I am for you. And I want in I want to be a part of your life. And for others, you may feel like, yes, that's a great reminder. The interesting thing about Zacchaeus is that the story doesn't end there, right? And not only does Jesus invite himself into Zacchaeus' life, but ultimately we see what happens with Zacchaeus is this beautiful turn that Jesus also invites Zacchaeus into Jesus' life.
he invites Zacchaeus in to Jesus's life and ministry, that Jesus invites himself into our lives, and he ultimately in turn invites us into his. This is what the story goes on and says in verse 8. It says, Zacchaeus stopped. Walked there, walking with Jesus. He stopped and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. We've had this idea of half actually come up earlier in the Gospel of Luke. Then when John the Baptist comes on the scene and is preparing the way for Jesus and telling people to repent and turn back to God, they come to and say, what should we do? And he says, if you have two of something, give one away. Now, this is a sign of repentance. It's a sign of turning away from selfishness and selfish ways of living and turning to God and saying, God, I want to be with you. I want to be on your side. I want to be a part of who you are and what you are doing. I'm going to no longer be aligned to these things, but I want to be aligned to you. I want to be loyal to you, and I want to demonstrate that with action. And frequently in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, that action is related to possessions. Those things we want to clutch onto and hold onto and say, oh, no, 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 I'm sure like that's not something that God cares about. He cares about like just this piece. It's a way in the Gospels of saying, no, Jesus cares about all of our lives. It wants all of our life, everything about us to be brought into his life and his kingdom. It's this way of demonstrating that. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes on and says, and if there's anyone I've cheated, I repay them four times as much. And we don't know the total amount here. It's over 50%, right? The four times repayment, who knows? But this, the total of this could have been everything. Zacchaeus says, I give half to the poor and I repay four times what I stole. And interestingly, there's a rich young ruler in the previous chapter who Jesus says, give everything, and he walks away sad. And Zacchaeus voluntarily says, everything I have is yours. I'm going to give it to the poor. I'm going to make things right with the people that I've cheated. And he walks away happy, filled with overwhelming joy. See, when Jesus comes in your life, it's everything that he's looking at and saying, I want to bring every part of your life. I want to come into every part of your life. I want to bring every part of your life into mine. I want to bring it all into mine. I'm inviting myself in and I'm inviting you in. And oftentimes this looks like things like how we work. Do we work in a just way? Is the way that we go about making a living, is that something that puts on to display what God is like? And then what we do with what we earn, does what we do with it put on display what God is like? Do we display in our lives the justice and the generosity of God? As we think about this, imagine for a moment that you're somebody who's poor in Jericho. That you find yourself with nothing that you're poor and dependent upon those that are around you. And maybe you find yourself poor because you had a business, but you got overtaxed by some tax collector. 
Maybe you were like, I was trying to make ends meet and I just couldn't get over that last spot and now I can't pay my bills so I've entered into debt slavery with somebody else. So I'm poor or I'm in debt slavery. Imagine you're in that moment and then all of a sudden you hear about what's just happened. That Jesus has passed through town and he encountered Zacchaeus. And because of Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus is now showing up wherever you're at with his possessions and saying, hey, this is for you. Or he's coming to you who he overtaxed and said, I am so sorry, here's four times what I took. Imagine you're that person. What does that sound like to you? I don't think there's a better word for it than good news. That this is good news to the poor. And if we think about the way that Jesus opens his whole ministry, he goes into a synagogue and he grabs the scroll to read that day. And he reads out of the prophet Isaiah. And he reads these words to launch his public ministry into the world. And says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor. To proclaim release to the captives, to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim Jubilee. See, because of his encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus' life has become good news to others. Because of his encounter with Jesus, his life has become good news to others. And this is the other part of the gospel. That Jesus comes into our lives and it's good news. He's come to set us free. He's the one who seeks us and who sees us, who knows our name, who saves us, who invites himself in. But then in turn, he invites us into his life and says, yes, you've received the good news. Now I'll be a part of the good news movement in the world. I want you to go and be good news for other people in the same way that the gospel has encountered you. And so the question we wrestle with when we come to the end of this story is how is it that in our lives individually, in our lives collectively, that we are good news? How are we individually and collectively good news to the poor, to the orphan, to the widow, to the homeless, to the single parent? How is the church? How are you individually me individually, us collectively, how are we representatives of the good news of Jesus in those people's lives? How is it maybe as a spouse that because of your encounter with Jesus, you've become good news to your husband or wife? How is it maybe you as a parent, because of your encounter with Jesus, you become good news to your kids? How is it that because of your encounter with Jesus that your friends and your roommates and your coworkers and your classmates, that when they encounter you, something good comes into their life because you're carrying the good news of Jesus with you? How many of you said that we've created an environment in our workplaces, whether we're supervisors or business owners or folks that are in some sort of position of leadership or authority, or maybe teachers in classrooms, that when people come into our shops or they come into our classrooms or they come to work, that all of a sudden they're encountering something about the work that's deep and meaningful and true and beautiful and going, what is this? Yeah. 
Why is it that now suddenly I'm seen with dignity and honor and I'm valued and I'm paid appropriately and what I'm doing is actually contributing to something great in the world? Are we good news to those people in our lives? Are we good news to our neighbors and the people that we encounter on the streets? This is the great invitation of Jesus for him to come into our lives, to invite himself in. But that is never just a private thing. That the good news that comes in is the good news that wants to burst out into the world. And to be a part of God's redeeming and restoring and reclaiming and rescuing all things. Jesus invites himself in and he invites us in as well. And we model that every week as we come to the table. And we come to the table reminding that Jesus is the one who welcomes us. That Jesus is the one who seeks us. That Jesus is the one who saves us. That Jesus is the one who broke his body for us. And we receive his broken body and his shed blood. But we're also reminded that as the people who've been caught up in Jesus, that not only do we receive the body and blood of Christ, but we are invited to be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood for everyone. He invites us to be part of his movement in the world, to be his ambassadors, to be his representatives, to be those that go and proclaim the good news to others. And so that's why when we come to the table, we start with a prayer. And one of the things that we pray is asking God to forgive us for the times that we haven't been and to help us to become good news to others. Pastor Glenn, would you come and lead us to the table this morning?